day job. Let's go. Look at me, Damien. The blackest day. Son of a bitch. As the stinger says, this is Blade Job episode 44. Double four. Snake eyes. Is that how it goes? Snake eyes? Is that only is that only zero zero? Um I think that's only one and one. All right. Well, oh, you know what? That's a good point. Well, either way, whatever. Four times one and one. <laughs> episode 44. I'm one of your hosts, Steve Carly. With me in spirit, not quite in the same room anymore, Eric Marshik. What's up, buddy? What's up? Yeah, we're in uh, It's uh, snowstorm time, I, I, I guess. So I haven't looked claim. outside in a minute. I, neither have I. I don't think it's going to be a big deal. Actually, I was told that I can work from home tomorrow if it's if it's, if it's bad enough. So I'm kind of hoping it is bad, actually. So I, I've heard this. I got the same thing, too. And we have like a like a website that we can go to. It's just like a private oh, whatever. And well, uh, I'll be checking that all night. Yeah, that sounds nice. Just, yeah. But other than that, yeah, we're getting some snow up here in Michigan. We'll Finally. see how it really ends up uh, panning out. I, I think we're, I think it's going to be pretty light. Yeah, same here. What are you but drinking, we'll Eric? If anything, really. Yeah, you, you know. It's something. Uh, um... 44 episodes in, you know it's a high life. I do know it's a high life. I'm drinking Hop Slam, buddy. Who makes Hop Slam? I forget. I think it's um. I, I think know. it's Founders. Oh, it's not Founders. Is it Founders? Maybe it's Founders. Either it's way, Founders or Bells, one of the two. I think it's actually going to be it's Bells, Bells, Hops. It's definitely Bells. Um, so I'll be probably drunk by the time we finish recording this because I got a the local liquor store by me actually has um beers on draft now and they have rotating. You know, they change all mm-hmm. the time when they happen to have Hop Slam. I saw on my app and I was like, oh. Shit, I gotta get that. So, I got so you a get howler. a growler. Oh, a howler. Yeah, it's a you know a smaller growler. I didn't want to oh, pay the gotcha. big bucks for the growler, but yeah. So I'm probably gonna get hammered by the time this is done. But so be it. Well, that's you know that's you know the movie we're covering today is Deep Red, and you know what Italians are usually drunk, so this it all checks out. This is our first. Um, this is our first Giallo. I know that much. Yeah, this it's is our first our, Argento, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's our it's our first Argento. I mean, I think Demons One and Two are like produced by Argento. You know, they are. You are correct. Um, and if you go way back in the archives to that little, remember that Nun movie we covered, Other Hell? Of course, that was like Episode Two, I believe. Yeah, even so I that, that. That was. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't quite a giallo, but it was, uh, you know, it's it was an Italian movie in the 70s. It had a little giallo vibe. I think that was maybe the first time on the show that we probably mentioned giallo. But today we'll dive a lot more into the genre, and uh, and in Deep Red in particular. But um, but we'll, we'll briefly touch on what giallo means uh, and, and things like that, so... Until then, let's do some quick housekeeping here, some updates. Eric, do you have anything going to do? I mean, I can go first. Up to you. I got a couple of things here. You, you can you can go first. You All can right. Go first. So I don't have much. First thing I got today, actually, this is actually two huge news things that came out today. So we'll get to the, my third one. But the first one is Spiral. Now, do you know what this is? The the trailer for Spiral from the Book of Saw dropped today. Finally, do you know anything about this, Eric? I know it from. Uh, literally reading a like bloody disgusting headline mm-hmm. where it somehow has got 
Sam Jackson and Chris Rock involved, and I believe you mentioned it something to me about it, but I'm I don't sure know I much more than that. I, I thought it was odd. <laughs> so um, Chris Rock was at a party at one point a, long, a while back, and he was introduced to the head of Lionsgate, and his response was, oh, like Saw. So he was kind of like mocking because Lionsgate's big for the Saw franchise. Well, Lionsgate called him shortly after and said, hey, do you want to develop your own Saw movie? And Chris Rock said, sure, what the hell? So I believe he wrote, either he wrote, the, I know he's, he's a big producer on it. And he's obviously starring in it. Um, I think he wrote the movie itself as well. Really? So, so this is a Saw movie, a uh, completely new universe. So it's called Saw Spiral from the Book of Saw. The trailer looks pretty good. I'm, I mean, I've always been a kind of a really? Saw fan. I like the kind of torture porn shit. Like, I like the Saw 1 and 2 a lot. I know they get worse as they go on, but. Um, I think it holds up. I, I, I even does. checked out Jigsaw last year which i hear which out in that, that was one from the spirig brothers the guys who did um uh like um daybreakers with the vampire movie with uh oh ethan hawk so i was like oh they, they might make this movie pretty good well apparently it still sucks but i i think this will be a better you know it's it's, it's a refreshing take on the on the story so um i'm yeah. excited to see more of that it was because it's been it's been you know in development for a while now and well actually i'm not even gonna say that it was pretty pretty quick in development it went from like an idea to it's happening to it's being shot to now he's a trailer for it so okay love that well yeah i mean no it's it's definitely a cool idea i don't like i said i'm not it's a weird thing. i haven't seen the trailer you should watch it it's good um yeah i it will comes out in it may because i i'm a saw i do love saw so yeah, it comes out in May. It was supposed to be in October. Oh, really? It was it was supposed to be in October, but they pushed it up because of Hollywood kills or Hollywood kills Halloween kills. They said we're not trying to fuck with that, uh, so they pushed it up. Which is usually well, they push things back. So usually, if a movie's being pushed up, it's a good sign. It says, "Hey, this is better than we thought." It's coming out faster, so we'll see. We'll see. Um, well, that's cool though. Um, yeah, yeah, that's it's definitely an interesting take, and yeah, the the, the names involved um, are surprising um, when you uh, think of the Saw franchise. Sam Jackson does use the phrase "motherfucker" in the uh, in the trailer, so you know that's oh, what you wow. would expect. So I'm right, looking forward to that. Um, okay, so move on to the next one. This is a small one: Gretel and Hansel, Hansel, Hansel mm-hmm. and Gretel, Hansel. Um, yes. That's a movie from Oz Perkins, who did um, The Black Coat's Daughter a while back. He's a pretty respected horror director, hasn't done enough to like really break out yet. This was apparently a pretty decent um, attempt at you know the Hansel and Gretel kind of folk fairy tale mm-hmm. horror. Uh, it didn't do well because it's a January horror movie, so it like the Grudge remake. It was shitty, which is unfortunate because yeah. this is two with Oz Perkins for this, and then uh, Nicholas Pesci or Pesci Pacey. Uh, for the grudge it's just these are two you know young good voices in horror that just made shit movies it's funny how that works when you get to the you know behind the studio system for that but what are you gonna do well, so that's just an update on that is that apparently it came out you might be thinking oh i know that was a movie that came out it, well yeah i guess there's no not much marketing for it so it looked good though it looked it looked kind of like a almost more of a mainstream version of the witch or yeah um well you know, kind of like taking that full core but kind of trying to uh, not be as art house about it, maybe, or uh, maybe there's a different way to phrase it. But it's definitely, you know what I'm um, yeah. I mean, it's just it's um, a lot of people that I saw actually fun. You know, here's, here's an update for you. I got rid of my Facebook and Twitter, so um, actually I reactivated my Twitter tonight because I'm, I'm I'm digressing here. But 
three years ago, I made a tweet that was like, I said, thank goodness uh, Kirk Douglas is immortal. And I thought to myself, haha, I can't wait to tweet this out. I'll pin it as my pin tweet and I'll make a joke about it when he dies like within the next year. Well, three fast forward to tonight and he finally died. So I got Kirk Douglas died? Died today. Yep. Hundred and three years old. So oh, I had to, I got to reactivate my Twitter so I could go make that stupid joke three years later because he died way longer than I thought he was gonna <laughs> die. I was like I was so sure. Anyway, um so what was I getting at with that? Well, yeah. welcome back, I guess. I mean, I'm gonna get rid of it again soon. I just wanted to make sure I, because it's, it's it's been nice. It's been nice to not have to tweet shit. And I've had thoughts, and I was like, huh, I should. T- Usually, I would tweet this, but I haven't. So that's interesting. That's nice. Um, so I don't remember where I was going with that, but Gretel and Hansel. There you go. That's an update for you. Now, here's the third thing. That this this broke about an hour ago, less than. Oh that. no. As you may you may recall. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, the 2021 uh, Doctor Strange sequel that Marvel, they lost the director, Scott Derrickson. He dipped. Um, he did the first one. He did the first one in 2016. He's did a lot of other mm-hmm. horror movies beforehand, you know. Um, and so he dipped. Well, it broke out about an hour ago that who is now in talks to officially join the directed? Sam Raimi. Whoa! Sam Raimi is in talks, which really it's not it's not confirmed if they're in talks. But usually, if they're in talks, it's just signing the dots and you know inking the you know crossing the T's and dotting the I's. You're um, speaking my language now. Yeah, Those are my favorite Marvel movies. Yeah, I mean this is what I thought. This broke about an hour ago. Sam Raimi is in talks to direct Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which is odd because obviously Scott Derrickson dipped for a reason. You know, he disagreed with you know, the creative differences. The, you know, the classic way. So mm-hmm. you have to wonder, like, well, well, there are rumors that that it's actually Raimi himself who reached out and pitched. He said, "Hey, I have an idea." And, obviously they like it so you really have to wonder what the hell's going on over there but if they're gonna so yeah so so you're thinking that maybe he poached it is that what you're kind of thinking i just wonder what they were doing to make derrickson split that they're deciding to not do with Raimi, because Hmm. the whole idea was that they wanted this movie to be the first marvel official marvel horror movie Right, well, but then they kind of backpedaled on that a bit, and it's been kind of assumed that that's why Derrickson dipped. Uh, but with Ra- but Raimi at the same time, because he does horror, but he does like fun horror, right? You know more than anybody I know. He does kind oh, of like yeah. kind of fun splatter horror. So I think that that might even be a better fit than Scott Derrickson. Yeah, um, I mean, and, and and he has superhero experience which i know that's not like a prerequisite but i mean those spider-man I, movies it, hold it makes up sense yeah no that's that's 100 uh, percent right army of darkness you know he doesn't you know it's not always the evil dead 2 visceral horror comedy yeah, he did like, he has he did quite oz a the of, great and powerful which i forget yeah. about and that's from disney i mean he's, he's not new to this you know he's not new to that world so um it's a very exciting <laughs> that's <laughs> You know, that was yeah. a breaking news where I thought, holy shit, that is a, that's a good get. So, I mean, you, you can assume it, it, it's, it's officially in talks, but you can assume before the weekend that it's going to be confirmed that he, okay, he's signed on, he's good to go, he's directing it, which would be, because cr- I, I was, I spent a lot of time, of course, more than more time than I should, you know, thinking and postulating about who could replace him. And Sam Raimi would never even, you know, went in my head, maybe because yeah. he doesn't do a whole lot these days, but couldn't believe it. That's that's is this outrageous. The, is this the second Doctor Strange movie, or was there one between the nope. first one and second this one. one? Second one. Oh, that's cool. Yep, this one involves a multiverse. There's no, there's no, um, 
we go. There's no synopsis yet. So we don't know what the hell it's about. But that comes out May 2021, which is next okay. year. So that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So well, uh, that's it's it's nice to have some Marvel news that actually it's actually relevant to this podcast. It's you know that's very exciting. Couldn't have been, couldn't have picked a better time to record this because I dropped about an hour ago. So. You know I don't really care about Marvel, but that is exciting to me. That's why I figured it was fun to, you know, I mentioned, I was like, don't look up who the new director is if you see my notes, because I wanted to announce it to you on the podcast. Mm. No, I did not. I, I saw Doctor Strange, new director in the notes, and was kind of like, oh boy. <laughs> I don't even know how to take this. I don't know, Sam I don't know what kind of tangent Steve's got up his sleeve, but yeah. this, is a good, this is a good tangent. I'm into it. I do have a lot of tangents, it's true. Well, I don't have any... Uh, anything really to update on other than uh um oh i mean i guess i'm, I'm about to s- jump into the new twin peaks oh i hear it's I, I, incredible yeah I, I i cassie my girlfriend and i just finished the uh, all the 90s material so the first two seasons in the 90s movie um fire so walk yeah I, i'll me. probably have yeah firewalk with me so I'm I, I'm probably gonna have an update on that maybe the next episode. Um, I re- the the news. Go I'm ahead. Sorry. I I remember when it was airing and I think it was episode. I think it's what ten episodes. I think episode eight. It's long. Eight episode eight is the one where people say it's the best TV they've ever seen in their entire lives. So yeah, apparently well, get good. hyped for episode eight. Apparently it's all incredible, but apparently episode eight is like the out, outrageous standout for as like this high quality masterpiece. So. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Um, now I see in the notes you've got Dracula here. I think is this the Netflix oh, one you're talking about? Because I've I've been interested in this one. Well, don't be. Oh, <laughs> um, okay, all right. Okay. It's uh, I don't know. It it seems to be very polarizing. <laughs> I watched the first episode. Um, I just don't really like it. It's it's it, you might know more about it than I do, but it's I created do. by the guy who did Sherlock, Mark Gaddis, and Stephen Moffat. Oh, I know, yeah. I know about Dracula, absolutely. But I think it also are are they also somehow involved in like Doctor Who? Do you know? Uh, Stephen Moffat was a showrunner for many many years. Yeah, a lot of the well, best of Doctor Who can be attributed to Stephen Moffat's writing, because it almost feels like a doctor who sherlock version of dracula like it's, that's exactly what it's apparently is yeah that's what i hear a lot which it, is good for me because i like sherlock i don't care for doctor who at all but i like the sherlock a lot yeah and i don't really care for uh doctor who either but i mean i don't know it just feels a little it's a little too like on the nose british you know like it's almost I, there's it's hard to explain and there's a there's a little bit there's a lot of like weird humor in it, which I don't really enjoy. But there's also a lot of like really cool effects. So I mean, make no mistake, Mark Gaddis and uh, Stephen Moffat are incredibly British, you know, filmmakers. You know, they uh, yeah. If they if they put out something, I mean, this is a, this is a British TV show. It's a series, so you've got three episodes each yeah. an hour and a half long. I know this shit. Um, which you know, and take it or leave it. <laughs> It, it's not it's 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 very different than dracula like at least the the first episode i guess is, was okay i've heard it goes pretty downhill from there and i wasn't even that big of a fan of the first episode it's not a very it's a very it takes a lot of interesting turns that you know I, i've seen a lot of dracula movies and vampire movies but it's like it's taking some interesting uh interpretations and things so i i guess um I don't know. I guess give it a try. If you re- if you like the first episode, maybe continue on with it. But I 
I really didn't even care for it. There's too much just like quirky Britishness. What you what you mean is there's too much Mark Gaddis and Stephen Moffat. Just trust me on yes. this one. They, these guys yes. have a style, and you're experiencing it. I guarantee it right yeah. now. And 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 I kind of ran into that with Sherlock too, because I kind of Sherlock became a little bit too much, and I I had to I don't know after maybe that second season, I kind of again it became a little too British for its own good in my regard. So it's exactly what you're talking about with these directors, though. It sounds like. Yeah, if you know who these guys are and you know what they do, you know exactly what to expect yeah. from Dracula. Absolutely. So I don't know. I mean, it go. I mean, try it out if you like Dracula. Like, if you're like a Dracula completist, you need to see everything that's related to Dracula. I guess check it out. If you like Sherlock Holmes or you like Doctor Who, and you like horror, check it out. Um, the effects are really cool and stuff, but like I said, the dialogue really kind of grates me at times i um as somebody who knows that style i can tell you right now i don't blame you yeah 100 percent. yeah and then uh kind of the third little thing here that i i attempted to watch was this new witcher show um i can't remember if we've talked about it on previous episodes or not but it's just not for me i don't think have you have you tried it out, Steve? I've gotten to the first two episodes. Um, I'm a big Witcher fan. I own all the games. I played mm-hmm. the first two for a combined total of maybe 20 minutes, but I've played a shit ton of the. I love the third game. I'll never beat it, but I love it. Um, this of this series yeah. is based off of the books, not which I own the first one, but not the the, the games. Um, but a lot yeah. of people seem to. It is like a smash fucking hit for Netflix. It's like a humongous, like a huge fucking hit for Netflix. Um, but in fact, they're already shooting season two right now. Um, yeah. But a lot of people kind of the, the general consensus is that this is not great. It could be better. It's good, but it could be better. I liked what I watched, but I, as you can tell, I mean, I you know I was waiting for this for months, and I'm only two episodes in, and I just haven't gotten around to finishing it. And take that as you will. So. No, yeah, that's where I am. I mean, I, I, I put in, I think, three episodes, and it's just not, uh, I don't know, if it's just, it's A, it's, I, I'm not at all familiar with any bit of this. I've never read the books, I've never played <laughs> the video games, so I'm, I, I'm not invested in that way, and it's just, I was expecting almost a little bit more of, like, a horror Oh, type no. thing or yeah. I, I didn't really know what to expect i mean it's it's, it's, it's about it's a monster just fantasy it's about a monster slayer but it's not really scary in that way right yeah it's just funny because like Cause there, the... are, there are certain movies and stuff in like tv well i guess movies that like like uh, for example and uh, uh, anecdotally like the entourage movie you know i'm a entourage one of my favorite shows you know i know a lot of people hate it. it's a big meme haha but i you know love that show <laughs> I've watched it through the whole series, all eight seasons, maybe seven times now. Um, the oh movie, my God. the movie itself that came out in 2015. Of course, I was following every single inch of that production, right, for years. The movie, I remember seeing that movie, and I thought to myself, if you've never watched all of the series, this whole entire movie is incomprehensible to you. There's literally nothing of that movie that would make any sense to anybody who's never seen every single episode of that show. Uh, and it's just odd to me. So The Witcher, I mean, if you don't know the lore and like the games and books, yeah, I mean, a lot of it just makes no, I mean, I guess the same idea is like, well, think of like, and I hate comparing it to Game of Thrones because that's not Game of Thrones, but Game of Thrones managed to, at least if you haven't read the books, right? I mean, it makes sense, but The Witcher kind of, The Witcher kind of brings out, it's a lot more high fantasy, you know, I mean, 
Uh, Game of Thrones is very low, maybe I would say low middle fantasy, just take my word for that. Because, um, you know, I'm not sure if you know that the whole high, low fantasy. High is more fantastical, yes. goblins and shit, yeah. So, The Witcher Lord of the is, Rings. Lord of the Rings is was probably middle fantasy. But what? this, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I well... Would... I don't know. We don't have to argue about that. Yeah, but I would say if there's actually wizards doing magic constantly, it's pretty high fantasy. I would call it middle to high fantasy. I would. I would. This is probably more middle fantasy, but it's definitely more fantastical, which I like. But I can. Yeah, it's. Again, I only watched the first two episodes and never got around to finishing it. So you can tell what I. I like it, but I don't love it, and you know is what it is although i mean again and i'm getting into the history of this show but um mark cavill or cavill i don't know who you are who says that but mark cavill did i say mark his name is mark cavill right no it's uh it's henry cavill (laughs) mark cavill come on i'm thinking of mark hamill jesus christ thank you henry cavill (laughs) he's a huge gamer he's been playing video games his entire life um, really, he's famously he I, when he when he was in the middle of a World of Warcraft World of Warcraft raid when he got the call to be Superman. Uh, he's a big PC guy, so he's the one who he played all the Witcher games, and he was the one who got this whole movie, this whole show off the rails. It's him that oh. that he wanted to get it made. As soon as he heard that they were casting a looking for a Geralt of Rivia, he was the one who said, "It's got to be me and nobody else." Um, well, he looks like the video game character. I'll give he him does that. a pretty good job. His voice—I mean, it's kind of hard to you know emulate the voice of Geralt. But if you were to play the games and see him, you would think, okay, he did a pretty good job because he's extremely passionate about it. So, if only the filmmakers could be as passionate about the source material as he is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just keep that in mind, and just it makes more sense why he's part of it because he is the one, the glue that says, "Hey, this needs to happen." So that's kind of cool. I'm sorry. I'm already. All right, I'm, real I'm, quick. Should I play the games? Are the games worth it? The, the second two are the first two are fine. Um, the third one's incredible. It really is like a masterpiece. I mean, oh, it's okay. huge. It's really it's it's very very Great. good. You should play it. Okay. Um, and if you do I'm play it, to play more video games. If you play it, let year. me know because there's a setting you need to turn on and the settings to make the movement not awful. So let me know. Okay. It's also really cheap. You, you, you could buy the whole thing with all the big DLC packs that are all equally masterpieces for like fifteen bucks digital on PS4. So. Oh, get it for dirt okay. cheap. It's very good. Well, all right. There you go. Play the Witcher game. Try the show out. Make your own mind up. But yeah, yeah that's that's the Blade job. <laughs> Recent new movie updates, I, I suppose. Well, it's funny because I said updates and in my head I thought news. So mine were all news. Yours were updates, whatever. It's a good it doesn't rant. really matter. It's I have nothing to update where... anyway. So. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, all neither right. did I. Other than I watched all of Twin Peaks season one and two. I'm already feeling this beer. This hop slam will kick your ass if you're not careful. Well, you know who got their careful. ass kicked this past weekend? Who, Eric? Can you Our tell me? Blade Jobber of the Week. Um, as y'all know, last weekend was the Royal Rumble. Um, there was some big returns, Edge being the biggest. But our Blade Jobber of the Week actually goes to his wife, Beth Phoenix. Um, and you saw that, Steve, that her head all busted open like that. I sure did. So apparently she hit her, she actually hit the back of her head on a, on the ring post and left like a probably four inch gash on the back of her head underneath her hair. So throughout the match, it's progressively just like this splotchy blood spot on the back of her head and, um, 
you know, kind of the first bloody uh, little bit of wrestling we got in 2020. So uh, that's that's uh, she she Beth Phoenix is our blade jobber of the week because you know it's I don't know if we've had a woman blade jobber of the week yet, but uh, I think Beth deserve is deserving of it. So um, I did while you were talking, I did take the time to look outside. Yeah, it's coming down out there. Oh no! Well, here's to bringing our laptops home for work today. So I don't even have a laptop to bring home from work yet. Oh, it's nice. still I, I'm still desktop at work. Oh, for man. the time being. I have a laptop that I get to bring home. I, I don't need to bring it home, but I do every day, and now I, I'm glad I did. Um, so, Beth Phoenix, God bless. Um, I, I, We at Blade Job, we love a good a woman who can take a hit like that. You know, we, we yeah. respect it, love the bloodshed. Um, you know, I, we all, she could kick all of our asses. Happy to do it. Yeah. And she was one of the older entrants in that Royal Rumble. She's probably in her, you know, mid-40s. Up in there with a bunch of twenty-year-olds, thirty-year-olds. So. Well, if, if if you watch the Super Bowl and the halftime show, um, mm. and you saw uh, J Lo climbing that pole and uh, mm-hmm. Shakira, her hips continue not to lie. Very truthful hips. Uh, age is but a number, man. Uh, boy, or well, well, that's to, true. Age is a number if you have money. Let's just say that. Um, but boy, those are those women are. Um, goddamn, that was a good show. Shakira. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't realize how we, she's what forty years old, I think. Uh, boy, Shakira, man. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm drinking a lot, but Jesus Christ! All right. Well, no, I think you're. I think most of the most of the Americans are are with you, and actually, you know, most of the world probably watched that. So you, you, you know what? Fuck you. Shakira's audience for her music was us, our age. So I think if anybody can say what I said, it's our age people, you know, late twenties. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's hips don't lie. That was, uh, that you know, we are the for demographic sure. for that. And I, I love, love like- the fact that her lip, her hips continue to not lie. Oh my goodness. Great show. Great show. Yeah. <clears throat> And yeah, with it, that, was, it was good. It was a lot of fun. It was a good show. Uh, although I wish J Lo was nominated for Best Supporting Actress at the Oscars, but the Oscars fucking suck. So let's dive mm. into Deep Red. Speaking of not yes. uh, no Oscar runs. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, Deep Red um, released in 1975. Before we even continue uh, on, Eric, I will. I think now is a good time for you to kind of give us a little um, crash course on Giallo. Um, because I, that's something Oh, you that, want the Giallo explanation right now? I think so, because the, right. Argento is kind of like the king of Giallo, so it's nice to go into this kind of discussion yeah. knowing exactly what Giallo is, for all of our benefit. I think I would like to know more, and you're the expert here, so take it away. So, I, 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 I read a bunch, I was reading up on it today, obviously. I mean, I'm kind of familiar with it. Um, I watched, actually, a couple of really good interviews with uh, Guillermo... Guillermo del Toro um kind of giving his explanation of Giallo and uh he he went back even further to uh Mario Bava into the late 50s early 60s with kind of uh Giallo kind of originally came from um much like hard-boiled or noir movies in America like these uh really gritty uh, paperback thrillers in Italy. So Giallo actually is in reference to the genre that's not just film, but it's it's uh, it's just like this type of kind of gritty 
um, kind of horror and thriller uh, type of movie. Or, I'm sorry, so type of media. So, this is a... This is actually what Wikipedia calls Giallo. Um, it's an Italian thriller horror genre that has detective and mystery elements also containing what would become slasher elements. Uh, this... Uh, Giallo horror films typically blend atmosphere, suspense, thriller, and eroticism um, into a formula where the killer's identity is not revealed until the final act. Genre developed in the mid-60s, peaked in the late 70s, mid to late 70s, and uh, declined thereafter. So, does that pretty much sum it up for you? It does. Um, I'm sorry if I get distracted. I'm just thinking about Sam Raimi in the Marvel world again. Oh, <laughs> it's just it's it's really it's getting to me, man. It's nice. Pretty much, like in a nutshell, you can look at Giallo as the art house predecessor to the American slasher genre. Does that sound fair enough? One hundred percent. Yes, I think so. So, anyways, that that's that was a very long winded. Uh, uh, explanation of Giallo, but uh, you 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 kind of are you you're pretty familiar too, Steve. And like, what what in your words would would you kind of describe as the hallmarks to Giallo? Uh, first of all, thank you for acknowledging that I happen to know a lot about a lot of different parts of film. I don't you know I don't take pride in it, but at the same time, I do. Um, I mean, it's, it's funny because I ask you know what Giallo is. I think I know. I have an idea, but it's kind of hard to pinpoint. I mean. Even though I just mentioned that I know a lot about this stuff, Giallo in 70s kind of Italian is a lot of my blind spot. So mm -hmm. um, I'd like to fix that, actually. That would be nice. But, yeah, I mean, what you described of Giallo makes perfect sense. I mean, it's a lot more style. It is, it's a stylish um, – the, 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 the color red, I think, is a heavy um, kind mm -hmm. of a thematic element in Giallo. Not just because of the blood, but – and well, speaking of blood, I'll mention that later on in this discussion about the use of blood here is, uh, ex especially in the Giallo field of how they do blood here is uh, of note. So well, I'll talk about that in a minute. But real quick too, uh, just it's kind of funny that you mentioned that Giallo um, makes you think of red, when in fact Giallo is actually the Italian word for yellow interesting um okay and uh it's uh it's uh it, it and the reason for that is it goes back to like i was saying like those those pulp paperback books back in the you know 30s and 20s had all these yellow spines kind of like how we look at um uh i i guess how kind of like uh pulp novels and pulp detective like you know where did that term come from it came from you know the titles of some of these things and all that. So it's like the, how the physical production of something becomes its, uh, its name going forward. It's kind of interesting how all this stuff kind of comes to be. And it's all kind of early, um, also bits of exploitation and, uh, 
you know, these movies were not, they were art house, but at the same time, they were, uh, at the time, looked at as a little sleazy and, uh, you know, dirty. But go on, Steve. Uh, I mean, there is not much more to say in terms of my knowledge. I mean, you can see a lot of movies, these, you know, uh, let's say Peter Strickland's Barbarian Sound Studio. Um, have, mm-hmm. have you seen that? You've seen that, right? Of course you've seen that. Yes. I didn't care for it much, but that's beside the point. But, um, I mean, that's obviously an homage to Giallo in many ways, in the way it's shot and, the, when the, of course, the plot itself. Um, so if actually any, anybody listening, if there's anybody out there, uh, I think it's on Hulu, Barbarian Sound Studio. If you want to get kind of a crash course on what make what elements make up a Giallo picture, that movie actually does a pretty good job of explaining it. So I would recommend that one. Yes. Also, while you're at say, it, oh, well, I was going to say the yeah, Love Witch as well. Yeah. I don't know if you saw the Love Witch. I, I think I have not a... seen the Love Witch, but I know all about it, baby. Anna Biller is one of my kind of. I I, re, I love her as a filmmaker. I'm not sure how much you know about the production of the Love Witch. Um, that's None. kind of why I'm here, as I know the Love Witch is. Uh, Written, well, okay, Anna Biller, she is a young um, filmmaker, and she, uh, boy, let's see, Love Witch, I think she wrote it, directed it, was the uh, costume mm-hmm. designer, writer, cinematographer, set designer, editor, uh, production designer, she shot it, uh, so she has a huge hand on all of her works, Mm-hmm. Um, and she's obviously you can yeah of course if you see the love if you see any frame of the love witch you can tell that she is deeply inspired by giallo um and a kind of italian horror you know especially in the 70s like yes. you said so uh yes the love witch is a fantastic uh, reference and you know resource for that and anybody i recommend anybody look at anna biller as a person as a filmmaker she's on twitter actually too um cuz she just she's one of those filmmakers that ha- that is at the risk of sounding cheesy, she has a complete vision for her work that few other people really have. I mean, you know, the, uh, it's always the famous kind of the infamous uh, saying from Quentin Tarantino that he believes that you're not really a director unless you direct your own scripts. You know, you write right. your own movies. I, th- I think I mentioned that on this podcast before anyway. but uh, So she's doing it all. She's writing she's her doing own it scripts. All. She's making the costumes. She's Everything you see it. on screen yeah. is from the mind of Anna Biller. And... Um, I you know I love that I, I respect her a lot as a filmmaker and I like to see her career and she works with very low budgets of course because she kind of does everything but um, you know I would like to see her I, I like to watch her career blossom over time and I'm I wish the best for her so she's a good example exactly I'm glad you brought that up yes which. and I think that there's there is kind of you know I think we kind of um, I think the 2010s we saw a lot of that kind of. 80s nostalgia retro nostalgia oh yeah but recently you know i think there has been a little bit more of this i'm not gonna say that a24 is maybe a throwback to more of the giallo style but it definitely feels like they're doing more kind of art house horror which you could definitely say giallo um i would say influenced almost every a24 director who's kind of in the horror category there um, I think Giallo has influenced every dire- horror director. Period. You know, I, yes. I I think you're right. Um, do you know anything about the movie coming up called Saint Maud? Look up no. the trailer oh, for yes, Saint Maud. That's yes. I think of Giallo and A24. I think of Saint Maud yes. that comes out. I think next month. But yeah, um, another movie coming out as well that has a lot of Giallo kind of flair to it. Is have you seen these? Uh, this movie called In Fabric. 
from Peter Strickland. Yes, I've been waiting for this movie for about two and a half years now. Um, That's another one that never I think opened is very up here. Much a... Peter Strickland. I cannot imagine a more uh, a bigger in who, someone who has been more influenced by Giallo working today. Um, I wish I liked yeah. the Barbarian Sound Studio a lot, but um, his second his movie after that called The Duke of Burgundy, also in Hulu. I need to finally get to that. Um, I would I like to think I'm gonna like that one a lot more. But then yeah, in Fabric, mm-hmm. I was it was playing at the Chicago Film Festival last year, and I really wanted yeah. to go because it never opened around here in Metro Detroit. Um, yep. But I think it'll probably be on like Canopy or Hulu soon. So so yeah. th- those are just kind of some lists of. Uh... Uh, almost, you know, modern uh, modern artists who are really taking a, a note from the Argentos, the Mario Bavas, um, you know, even even um, Lamberto Bava, who who we covered on the Demon series we did. That's right. You know, he he had his hand in Giallo before he kind of went into the splatter supernatural horror uh, category, but. Um, no, it's just it's very ingrained, I think, in Italian. Uh, just Italian kind of thriller, type, you know, even today. So, yeah, I mean, um, we, we could have a whole podcast of me raving about young filmmakers and how they're doing the the best work these days, but that's a whole other podcast. So why don't we just dive in? No, but I, mean, into, I think uh, that this continue. Yeah, let's dive in. But I mean, I real quick, I just want to say, you know, I think that this this was a really fun movie to watch and I mean, I would love to dive more into Giallo going forward. So that's that's what I was just going to say. Well, uh I wish I liked it as much as you did, but I guess we could dive in right now and talk oh, about boy. that. Oh boy. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's let's before we dive in, let's say we said Dario Argento um the king I, of I I who I believe is the king of um of Giallo, maybe I'm wrong. I'm sure you probably know someone who's more. Uh, I, no, I. Th- I think no, it's. I, the I would same agree with thing that. Yeah, I would. I would agree. With that. And and besides what you're about to say about this movie, a lot of people do consider this one of his masterpieces. Well, and I and I need to <laughs> maybe say after that Suspiria, you and I, you have seen a lot of of um of Argento. I really have only seen Suspiria in this, mm-hmm. so I really, you know, both the remake and the old. Uh, um, so, I, you know, I've never seen, what is he, he did um, Phenomena. I've, you know, I've, a lot of his movies I've not seen, so. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I, can, if I can get, which I believe is one of your favorites, if I could get cheesy for a second, is, I mean, yes. my favorite part of this, doing this podcast with you, is that I'm able to see a lot more of these. Like, I would never watch these movies if it wasn't for this podcast. So it's good to be able to kind of, right. you know, um, fill in some cracks and broaden my, you know, my film horizons. So I'm very glad for that. So while I've, obviously I regret watching shitty movies like, uh, you know, like Audition and all that, but realistically... I don't Microwave regret. Massacre. Microwave <laughs> Massacre, yeah. Um, I forgot, I already forgot about that movie. So thanks a lot, asshole. But, uh, you know, to be, again, to be cheesy, I don't, I don't regret really watching any of these because it's nice to be able to um you know broaden my horizons but let's talk about this movie before i get cheesy even more i'm drinking a lot as you can tell so it's okay it's okay so let's let's start so this movie kind of is uh regarded as one of argento's uh as one of his masterpieces mainly because it's kind of where a lot of people say argento got his uh he really nailed the style uh, prior to this, he had two um, Giallo films. Uh, the Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which uh, I believe came out in the mid-60s, mid late-60s. 
and then uh, shortly after that, Caddo Ninetales. And both of those are um, very much more uh, dark, kind of just almost detective procedural uh, kind of movies. There's a killer, the cops are hunting him down. I mean, both of them have a lot of uh, merit to them, and, and both of them have a lot of nuggets of what Argento style will become. But with Deep Red, and this is why we covered it, was Deep Red is where Argento really lets the gore fly. And, uh, and, and, that's, and that really becomes a trademark for Argento uh, going forward, is kind of, Yalo existed, Yalo was... A uh, you know, kind of this this sexy, sleek thriller genre, but then Argento came in and just literally poured blood all over it. So, and and that's that. I think that's one of the biggest, um, kind of the biggest uh, highlights of this movie is just like the historical significance of it. You know what I'm talking about, Steve? I do, absolutely. So. And there's another one, too, which, would like we've been saying, Mario Bava a lot. Bay of Blood came out, I believe, a little bit before this. And that's another one that's cited as um, kind of taking Giallo into this pre-slasher gory territory. So, um, I guess before we... Do you, do you want to do a plot synopsis real quick? Yeah, I'd be happy to. A jazz pianist and a wisecracking journalist are pulled into a complex web of mystery after the former witnesses the brutal murder of a psychic. It's a pretty good, that's, you know, pretty that's decent. That's pretty good. I mean, yeah. it's pretty good one-sentence uh, synopsis. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. pretty much a, 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 yeah, a pianist, a, a guy who's performing at a bar, and he's across from a university, um... He gets roped into a, a a murder mystery, I guess, for lack of a better word, um, when a psychic he sees uh, uh, gets uh, gets up killed. Um, I guess you know what we should do. We could put in a uh, put in a trailer um, right here too, because I, I did find a pretty good American trailer. Love it. You're getting closer and closer to the most unnatural kind of death. Beyond shock. What was that? Beyond horror into total terror. Murder runs wild. Blood runs cold. Deep red. Everywhere you look. Everywhere you turn. Death is running with you. Amazing trailer, amazing trailer, man. So glad you know, here to see that trailer. And you know what else people probably heard in that trailer? What's that? Was a little bit of that Goblin score. 
Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, man. For better or worse, know, for sure. For sure. I know that you're, uh, that this, for, for, also, I guess, for better or worse, Goblin. Um, I'm not going to go too much into them, um, as a whole, uh, 70s prog rock band kind of became synonymous with Giallo, though. So, um, you, you know what? I, I, you know what, Eric? Let's just start off right now, talking about. Yeah. Did you like the movie? This is your first time seeing it, right? I, yes. Okay. Yeah, I had never. I had seen a lot of them, but I had never seen Deep Red. So sure. this was my first time seeing it. Again, this podcast filling in cracks. Love it, man. Good, a good mm-hmm. idea to have this podcast be a thing. I am gonna say, yeah, I really, I did like it, um, quite a bit. Um, I. I'm not going to say I didn't like it as much. It's, it's, so out of all the Argento I've seen, it's, uh, I think it's better than Phenomena. I don't think it's as good as Suspiria or Tenebrae. So. I'll tell you right now, nobody can... It, I, I, so far of what I've seen of Argento, I'm not a huge fan. I'll be bluntly honest right now. But mm-hmm. the naming of his movies, amazing. Phenomena, Deep Red, Suspiria... Kick-ass names. Every one of his movies. Yes. Tenebrae. I don't even know what the hell that is. I love it. That man, I don't that know man can name a movie, and I will always respect that. Love it. Love it. The what he did a so and also it's a, a Suspiria, Inferno, and then his his kind of final of that trilogy is Mother of Tears, I believe. Yeah, that's that's all um, kick-ass. I love it, man. Yeah. That guy can name the shit out of a movie. Yeah, and, I, and you know what? Some of these might have multiple names. I don't know. Well, you know, if there's I'm anything sure that you that... and I know, it's that every movie we cover has at least 17 names. It's yeah. So I don't know what this actual... The Italian title, I believe, is called, like, Profosio Rosso, which Nailed I'm it. assuming just means deep red. I don't, I don't speak Italian. But, um, Profondo Rosso, yeah. Yes. So, um, but no, I mean, I really, I really did like it. Um, do you want to? Well, what did you think before we go through all the kills? Just um, a quick, just like a quick sentence. The movie's fine. It's fine. Um, it gets, mm-hmm. it. Oh boy. Um, you know, one of the greatest things about removing my Twitter and Facebook is that I'm no longer on my phone as much during movies, which is a huge weight off my shoulders because it just ruins it because I have no goddamn self-control. I go on my phone and then I yeah. don't know what the hell is going on with the movie and then I think it sucks. You know, that's how the life goes. It's all my fault. Completely fixable by me, but I refuse to do it. Although I, now that I get rid of my Twitter and Facebook, I could do that. So, um, I, I see there's a note here that you wrote because um, we have a kind of like a good, the bad, and the WTF section, if I can go inside baseball yes. here. And I mentioned that you said it's kind of hard to follow. I agree. Um, mainly due to the dubbing. Well, yeah, we can talk about dubbing. I know you have some plans to talk about that. I, but I overall, do. overall, it's fine. Um, it, we'll talk about, of course, why it's only fine. And, you know, I'll mention that. We've got good and bad and what WTF. But, I mean, I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm gonna, I'll leave it at that. It's fine. It's fine. So, so I'm going to take it you enjoyed Suspiria better. <laughs> uh... Argento's Suspiria. <laughs> they're both fine. They're both fine. Okay. Okay. So far, I have not been super I think impressed you need to... by Argento. I, I think you need to. I, I think we should cover Tenebrae at some point. I, it's a little bit more. A. It's a little bit more. Uh, what? Phenomena? It's in the eighties. 
No, no, no. Tenenbrave. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm, um, you're caught out. Okay. Yeah. I would like to. I mean, you know, despite the fact that I'm not really impressed by his work, I would like yeah. to see at least almost everything he does. Why not? You know, I like to cover that ground. And you seem to be a big fan of Tenenbrave, so I'm, uh, yeah. Tenenbrave, so I'm interested in that, too. So we'll cover that. Or at least we'll at least watch it, or I'll watch it. Yeah, we definitely should. I mean, and it's honestly, I think it's the goriest of Argentos as well. So well, I think it would definitely talking. fit into this show. Now you're speaking my language. <laughs> so, well, speaking of the gore, before we get into like everything, let's let's get through some of the some of what makes this movie kind of the blade the, job uh, approved. The blade job approved, and just kind of the. The uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for here? Where it's it starts the gory explosion of Giallo, but and, the meat you know, it's potatoes. Um, so you, it sounds like you would consider this blade job approved. I would call it just just blade job approved. It just makes it. So yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with you too, because I mean, up until really the last, um maybe 15, 20 minutes, I was kind of thinking, man, I don't know if this is going to get, like, I'm going to give it a thumbs up, but I don't know if I can give it that blade job, you know, slash of approval. I agree. I think it just barely makes it into it. It does. And um, let's let's get into some of them. I mean, because I I think also, even though it's only really a handful of kills, I think that the brutality and kind of, uh, creativeness of uh, several of them, I think, is what kind of pushed it just over the edge for me. Right. Um, so, I mean, like you said, it starts with a, uh, a psychic being murdered pretty much in the first 15 minutes. Yeah. And um, and in this, you know, it, it's, it, it's pretty graphic, this first kill, with that meat cleaver smashing her right in the shoulder blade, and you get that big, wet, literally looks like red paint just like flinging off her shoulder um and i think that that's uh that that definitely starts it off with a kind of a what what you would hope to expect for the rest of the movie unfortunately you don't get a ton more of these kills um if i could step in for a minute um yes i do that often i apologize but i I might as well add one of my goods under the good um Mm -hmm. the the blood and i've noticed this is kind of like a theme you know that kind of like a pattern for all giallo is this i mean you know dear listener you've seen bloody movies no doubt you know the kind of crimson red that goes in with these blood with the bloody kills here but for, for this movie the blood, I don't know, it's got to be intentional. I mean, you've got this beautiful kind of, it, I'm not going to call it like fake looking because it, while it is fake looking, I think it's intentional. It's very much a kind of more. It very much is. Bl- very more brighter kind of red, um, a little more gooey. Um, to me, I don't exactly know why I would consider that a good, but the fact that it just is so different. It's so um, kind of a stamp uh, for uh, Giallo, right? Uh, it's just, it's better than, because you see movies like Itch of the Killer where someone gets stabbed or cut and then the blood just gushes out and it's, you know, but the blood in this movie is just so, I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't call it beautiful. Like as weird as that is to say, I mean, it's just beautiful blue or not blue, Jesus Christ, I'm drinking beautiful red. Um, it's more vibrant. It's more, uh. It's just, it's just a more kind of, it pops, it pops like a motherfucker. 
Uh, and to me, I think that's a beautiful part of the movie. I mean, you know, it makes the blood, it makes the gore more memorable and makes it pop more when the blood kind of pops at the same time. It, it really all. adds to this kind of uh, surreal, almost dreamlike state that the that Argento and a lot of Giallo puts you in. You know, this nightmare dream scenario. Um, and I think that's a, how I would describe a lot of these movies is, you know, it's kind of dreamy at times. And you mentioned in, in that you like some of the kind of more surreal visuals and things that, that go along with this movie. 100%. Um, so, I mean, I think that that gore is definitely intended to be um, visceral, yet uh, vibrant and, and, and un, unnatural almost, you know. Absolutely. So, speaking of the just brutality and uh, kind of you know that the type of violence that this movie portrays is the second the second real kill we get is um, a, a woman who is uh, drowned in this scalding, burning water. And uh, another thing too is just with I mean, besides from this kill being, you know quite grotesque with the melting face in the water but i think another and this isn't necessarily a a genre trope but it does seem to be in a lot of pioneered by a lot of giallo is the kind of the point of view camera with that like sleek leather glove you know i think that's very an image that's burned into giallo absolutely yeah but the which apparently is uh, argento's hand fun fact for you is it yep Actually, you so, know what's funny? If I could, if I could tell a quick story here, when yeah. I was in college, I was a cinematographer. I, I, I majored in film. I'm a fucking idiot. What are you, you going to do? Um, I was a cinematographer for a senior, kind of a senior thesis, and well, not really a thesis, but you know, a, a senior project for one of our uh, later classes where I played the. It was about a, a Sasquatch, and I did the exact same thing. I had we had Sasquatch hands, and I kind of. I did the exact same thing where you put the hands in the shot, but you can only see the hands, right? Um, yeah. So it's the exact same shot. I didn't think about that until right now. I had to tell that stupid story. <clears throat> Continue. Well, there you go. You didn't even know you were influenced by Argento, and you were. It's it's that <laughs> simple, man. It's that easy to be influenced by Giallo yeah. or Argento, yeah. So, I mean, but yeah, I think that that, that kind of... There's something about, like, the Italians and just these, like, leather driving gloves. They're always just strangling people with them. Well, it's, it's, it's uh, also hard to not look cool while driving with those gloves, too. That's true. And, I mean, and there's one thing that, this, that I think that these movies are known for, and that's the killer looking pretty cool. Usually trench coat, uh, you know, kind of a fedora-type hat. Things that will look leather awful gloves. on anybody else but the characters in these movies. Yes. I mean, Italians can pull off a lot of looks, let's be honest. Yeah, kidding me? So, so I mean, this, this next kill um, was, was a close for my favorite. And, and just because it's like, this is, one of, this is the one where I was kind of like, okay, like, you know, we saw a woman get stabbed, we saw a woman get drowned. This one, this next kill, it just, it almost, the next couple kills shocked me for how uh how visceral they were for the time period because this is 75 this is before dawn of the dead this is before 
uh, is this before Texas Chainsaw? I don't uh, really know. Seventy eight but... around there. Uh, bef- uh, wait, when, once you describe this next kill, I will tell you exactly why this kill was what it was. Another fun fact for you. Continue. Okay. So that so this kill is a, is a, one of the professors who was working along the psychic. The killer comes in, pretty much grabs his head and and is bashing it his face and teeth directly into like the corners of tables and counters and just like the literally the hardest places you can find in your house this killer is bashing this man's mouth and teeth into it and breaking his teeth out and it's just it was very uh primal and just to think of that as a, a way to kill somebody and then to put it into a movie was i just thought just very intense for the time period Yes. Um, uh, so, fun fact for you, um, courtesy of IMDb Trivia. Mm. So, you know, uh, so that kill right there. So, p- pretty much a lot of these of these kills, or at least a lot of the injuries in this movie, uh, Argento himself wanted to portray these um, acts of violence as realistic as things that the audience has. Um, uh, can relate to like no many people in the audience they probably can't relate to getting stabbed in the eyeball but people mm-hmm. who can accidentally fall and bash their teeth into a corner that's something that we can all i mean we don't i don't think yes. we all have experienced that but the idea is that you can realistically think yeah this could happen to somebody um so all of these kills are more uh relatable and realistic than a lot of i mean obviously not all of them i mean as we're going to get to the last one on this list that's a very um very uh, um, final destination like kill but yes. you get the idea that some of these kills are realistic to a, intentionally realistic so that's kind of cool and that and that makes sense because i mean even the the scalding water death i mean you know most exactly. people have been burned either by water or heat so um that that just it just you know it hits a little closer when it's something that common absolutely which is you know hey hey, i like that a lot that's that is under my well it's not under my good list but it should be i should have put it there and we should mention too but after the the this professor was you know ragdolled around this apartment getting his teeth bashed into every seemingly every corner in this office it was almost um, comical it was so funny (laughs) yes he gets he gets a knife right through the spinal cord in the back of his neck which not quite as realistic um, no um but i mean the next kill which you know this also goes into my kind of um the lead up to this is is my what the fuck kind of moment of this movie which is when the uh kind of the red herring um a a man named carlo who is uh friends with the pianist he's actually a rival pianist um he he comes out and there's this is the point where uh our main character is gonna you know kill him and carlo jumps out of this window and is somehow hooked onto a car and and dragged around the streets of italy um seemingly without rhyme or reason i don't know i really did not care for that i did not care for that i, w- I remember watching that. i'm thinking to myself what the hell this is so goofy yeah it makes it no is goofy. sense well because what happens i mean he he goes out into the street 
And, you know, there's, I mean, this is a, what do you want to call it, like a delivery truck or some big truck, and then it has a trash, I don't know what it is, um, but it has a hook on the end of it. And you, and my first thought was, like, oh, he's going to get fucking eviscerated from that thing. You know, he's going to get decapitated or something that would satisfy my bloodlust. But he just mm-hmm. comically gets caught in it and is getting dragged down the street. And I thought, this is like a comedy. I don't care. I, don't, I think this is, it's too goofy yeah. for, it's, it is out of place goofy for what, everything that preceded it. But it does not end goofy. <laughs> no. And it actually ends with my favorite kill. And that is as this man is being dragged through the streets. Um, and this is this is the part really that I think took it over the edge too with the blade job approved was um, as, as this truck kind of comes to a grinding stop, uh, there's a cop car who's been in pursuit of them and they don't stop as quick and they just completely run over this man's head and it's about a second before it cuts but it's you just see the whole head kind of pops like a watermelon baby yeah god bless i i I just felt like again and sometimes with these movies too you know i think that when it comes to horror and special effects you really do have to judge it by the time period it's being created in you know is it that is it that gory by today's standards? No. Was it gory by 1975, 1976 standards? I'd say, hell yeah, it was pretty uh, intense to see. Hey man, so. listen man, cinema is a window through which we see history as it was, not as we per- it's not as we perceive it to be. Okay. There you go, folks. That's my favorite pretentious that on quote. St- Steve's... Put that on a t-shirt. That's, that's, that's a, that is a Blade Job original. Also, I'll say it. I'll say it again. Film cinema is a window through which we see history as it was, not as we perceive it to be. Put that on a goddamn T-shirt. Happy to do it. Spread the word. That's it. Um, I mean, I do think it's serious. I mean, you know, like you said, I mean, uh, it is a window in which we can see time as it was. You know, uh, at the yeah. time it was because I mean, well, you know what? I'll save it for another podcast. I, I can go well, off. You know, I've been drinking. You, know, you shouldn't save for another podcast. <laughs> You should talk about your favorite kill, which is the final kill of the movie. My favorite kill. So there's a movie that I love with all my heart that you didn't care for much called The Night Comes for Us. This is a very similar kill in that movie. Anyway, I don't know why I mentioned that at all because it really doesn't matter much. But so this kill goes as follows. A woman who is the killer. And we, we're kind of neglecting to talk about the actual plot, but we'll get, we'll get to that. But... Um, we're just spoiling stuff, but yeah, the killer it's, is Carlo's mom. Sorry, listen, listeners of this podcast know not to expect like a full rundown of like the plot. It is what it is. You, you listen, if if you want a full rundown of the plot, listen to Concord Dawn. We haven't even we haven't even recorded our last episode yet, and it's been like two months. So that's not good. Is that much works going into it? <laughs> ah, <laughs> boy, Jesus Christ! I think on Sunday. Anyway, so this final kill, the woman, the the killer. Uh, I mean, to be plain and simple, she gets her necklace caught in an elevator. The elevator starts going up. I believe it goes up. It, uh, it starts moving. It starts moving. It takes her with it. Uh, and it you, you get to see this beautiful shot of the necklace constricting her neck more and more until it cuts into the neck through the head. And God damn it, I wish it would show you the head popping off. Mm. You, you, get, you get to see that it does that kind of more, st- it takes the more stylistic approach where it shows the the, the, um, the necklace, you know, getting, to, what, what do you call it? Getting to the, the, um, 
the elevator, which of course only yeah. means that it went through the neck. You of course you, you you fill in the blanks. You it uses your imagination to know what because you see it obviously. The only way it could have gotten there is mm-hmm. through her neck. I of course wish it would have showed the 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 whole thing, but I understand that this is a more stylistic approach. Fair enough. The point is she gets decapitated. I love it. Ah, chef's kiss. I love a good decapitation. Another de- an, sh- another good decapitation. Watch Ridley Scott's mediocre movie, uh, The Counselor, as a great decapitation. There. I don't know if you've seen that or not. I have not seen that. That sounds like a like a like a courtroom drama. The very it's not a very good movie, but the very end of the movie, there's this there's this thing. Um, a man runs by Brad Pitt's character and he throws it over his head. It's basically picture like. Um, like a like a nice thin wire, kind of like in the Hitman games, um, like a ring that you put over mm-hmm. someone's head, and it starts just constricting slowly, and nothing can stop it. So he's saying "fuck you" because he knows the thing. "Fuck you, fuck you." As this thing is 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 getting closer and closer to his neck, and it's constricting him. He tries to pull it back with his fingers. It cuts his fingers clean off, and then it decapitates him because it just goes in and in and in. It is mwah, the only good part of that whole movie. Anyway, I love a good decapitation. It works pretty well here. I okay. wish I could see more. It is what it is. Uh, hell yeah. yeah. Continue. No, I mean, I think, yeah. And it, and it shows, you know, the necklace digging into her neck right before the seemingly head pops off. But It does a great um, job of, of showing you everything you need to see right before the yes. actual decapitation. Fair enough. I'm into it. I liked it a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, we kind of covered a lot of the stuff, actually, it looks like, through the, um, you know, the camera work and the, uh, yeah. uh, I mean, we, the gore you, effects. You and I can hammer through these, the good, the bad, the what the fuck right now. I, um, you said yeah. the atmosphere. I agree. Um, I, from what I've seen, a little I've seen of Argento, he can handle atmosphere very well. I think my point of his camera work kind of, it goes hand in hand, right? His camera work is more dreamy he likes mm-hmm. to kind of um, i'm not i don't think it's a steady cam really well no because a steady cam was invented that same year uh for rocky so he but the way that the camera floats around and the way that he is able to kind of whip it pan, whip pan whip pan whip pan um the camera's not very stagnant a lot of times it's, it's always moving um and that kind of uh, invokes a dreamy atmosphere kind of meandering kind of like the plot itself of kind of um uh, yeah, so I think that kind of goes hand in hand with the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I thought too this movie actually is you know I think it has some real creepy. Um, I think it I think it actually has some very suspenseful parts too. Can I give you an example? Movie. Yes, please do. One example that I meant to put in here is I I believe if I recall correctly I think she is looking in a closet but there's a darkness and you just mm-hmm. see one eyeball one eye yes i thought that was very well done again the camera work the kind of um dollying in you see this beautiful kind of uh the camera hovering you know, floating yes. towards this eye in the complete darkness i thought that was a very good shot um i wrote that down in my notes i wish i put it there but nah, i remembered it so life is good I, I think the part two where the where the main character busts through the wall and you just see him flashlighting this kind of hidden room 
Oh um, yeah, that's and then he, right. he he finds a corpse in there. And I think that that was just very eerie and uh, well, because the only light too. is the flashlight. Because you because you of course you know you and I or any listener knows at this point that if you have a guy kind of panning around with a flashlight, something's gonna jump out. At that time, mm-hmm. I don't think that was the case. So you kind of have that kind of him looking around with the flashlight, all the cameras and the flashlight. Luckily, nothing really jumps out because you know jump scares hadn't ruined all of cinema during that you know, that time yet. So you kind of get that, you know, he does end on a kind of a mummified corpse and it is very mm-hmm. well done. Uh, I agree with you there. Yeah, I think it's just, it's, it's creepy and it's got some suspense and, and, and things like that. So, and you got the um, beautiful, like t- I, in my notes, the Italian giallo crimson blood. Um, it's got that nice yes. sort of lighter color more. Again, it is like a lot more fake looking, but I think that's intentional because it is, there's a beauty to mm-hmm. it. It's, it doesn't look as realistic. It looks more ethereal. Um, you know, I, it pops more. I, I like to use that. It pops more on the camera, and um, it just it, it makes it it's it fits extremely well in the kind of yellow mindset because of just the the imagery, the reds, the colors. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of that one. Also, even the set designs, yes, are beautiful. Of course. Of Costumes are everything. Set design and costume is a big part of giallo, bigger than you would think. Um, I mean, I I know that there is, of course. Um, I say, of course, but you may not know, but I'm sure you know that there is a kind of a director trademark motif of, of Argento with people crashing through windows, the victim mm-hmm. of someone crashing a window. It works beautifully, very well um, in uh, Suspiria when you kind of have the wide shot of the character hanging there from the window. Uh, very nice. Yep. Same idea in this movie. Um, Ted and Bray, too. I'm sorry, we keep saying the same movies, but... No, no, no. It's, yes. It makes sense. It makes sense. Um, it's the cover of the posters the woman hanging from the oh perfect okay. stained glass roof in tenembrae yeah see i know nothing about that movie yet i will find out soon moving right along to my next good uh we're almost done here uh my last two i loved this is a surprising um i've never seen this before when the movie ended <laughs> yeah I, I know you can read this and you can know i'm talking about when the movie i ends, saw it too i remember seeing this too and laughing the credits begin and it, it begins with just you have been watching and then in big letters deep red and I thought, you have been watching that. It's so, like, I've never seen that before, where it's like, hey, you've been watching this movie. Um, is it, it doesn't, like, it's not, I don't know what the hell it means. I don't think it's anything that's, like, crazy or new. I just, I'd never seen that before. And I thought that, well, that stands out. I mean, it's kind of, it adds an air of class to it, you know. it's uh, Yeah, it's very weird how it, and I wonder if that's. It's like, I mean. Because you know, we're watching an English version Um. I don't know. Is that an Italian thing? I have no idea. I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe it's an Argento thing. Maybe it's a Italian in the seventies thing. I just know that I was. I mean, you know, I pleasantly surprised. It's like, oh, it just seems like kind of like a like the old picture palaces and that you know in the twenties. Yes. It's like you have been watching Deep Red, and I thought, well, goddamn right, I have. This movie's two and a <laughs> half, two hours and seven minutes long. This is one of the longer movies we watched. Um, so at the end, I thought, well, hell, hell, goddamn, yeah, I'm happy to do it. Um, so my last point here actually goes back to the eye in the closet. I just mentioned the surreal visuals. Um, there are, I have in my notes that I wish there were more of them because I do. There are kind of, um, you know, Argento like dreamy moments like that. I wish there were more. Um, well, he, he does this thing throughout it and he does it, I think in some other movies where there's, um, 
it's 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 seemingly kind of dreamy and uh it's it's used to kind of set up uh important plot points i guess but it's it's essentially where he would film like he there's like the part with like the yarn on the uh the table it's like a black table and he's just kind of doing really big close-ups on it and uh right. just kind of spinning around it or where he's showing a really big close-up on the tape recording machine that's playing this really eerie music and it's kind of just like showing all the intricacies of this uh tape deck like i think that some of that stuff's very interesting like why he chose to shoot like that where it's just you know it's dreamy it really is yeah that is i mean i wish i could be more have more variety in the way i speak but i just think that is the dreamiest of us way to put it yeah um yeah, and I, you know, again, I just wish there were more of those, and we'll get, like, we can just move right along to the bad, you know. Well, Let's... and I mean, in my bad is like, um, I mean, I think we both kind of agreed that the goblin music isn't for everyone. I, I don't, I don't think it's not for everybody. I just don't think it works at all in this movie. I like the goblin no. music. I just do not think it works for this movie at all. There are moments where the where it's it's supposed to be kind of. Um, ominous and scary but the music kicks in and it feels like mm-hmm. it's it reminds me of like those scenes in scooby-doo where they're all running around the doors and they're being chased by the yeah. ghoul ghost and then they're chasing the ghost i that's what i think of what happens when this kind of music kicks in and it just takes you right out of the the suspense of it um you know and i again i like the goblin music on its own you know i think it, it could work in the right context but for this mm-hmm. movie i just did not think it worked at all it was very distracting yeah, we'll we'll I'll put some goblin music. I'll put some of the soundtrack as we close out um, for the end of the episode, so you guys can kind of hear a little sample of of what it is, and you can make a determination on your own if you think it's uh, suspenseful or not. Because I know we've had goblin music in mo- other movies we've talked about, where I th- yeah, I, I can't remember, but I you know I, think I know the that other it's hell. the other hell I, that makes sense, but I think it works a lot better for those movies. This is just one where I just thought it was a detriment to the movie's quality when you have this music that kind of, you know, it's jarring because it's more playful uh, and, uh, than and what's I, happening. I don't know if this is indicative of it at all, but this is, as far as I'm, you know, as far as I looked up and stuff, this was the first time Goblin did a soundtrack. This is this is their first is the credited first soundtrack. Oh, wow. So, okay. Well, I didn't know that. Um, maybe they became, maybe they got more into their own after this, but. Which is totally um, fine. I just, you know, to me, yeah. this one just absolutely did not work. But, hey, the can all be winners. I mean, I, I think another thing, too, is the, you, you put the over, oh, the acting of the supporting characters. I was thinking that the, the supporting characters, uh, yeah, I think that's just like, there's some other characters in it who don't help the story along and make it confusing but i think too and we've covered this on previous episodes with demons other hell a couple other italian movies is we've asked the question why why the dubbing why are they dubbing um uh, you can clearly see them speaking english but they're still dubbed that it's funny you mentioned that because you, that's ex- exactly right. I I kept thinking to myself, is this in Italian and it's just dubbed in English? And then I look at the at the lips and I think, no, 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 they're speaking English, but it's just obviously dubbed as shit, dubbed out to high heavens. Well, this is where 
we're going to learn a little something today. I'm excited, I did, baby. I did some research. Also, before you begin, yes, Goblin's first uh, uh, compose, compose, uh, composition, oh. this movie. Continue. Cool. So, how, so, I, so I was doing some digging, trying to find it, and I had, I had heard a Joe Bob Briggs um, little quote where he, he kind of explained the dubbing, and I couldn't really find an exact transcript of it, but I found this article actually from 1992 um, in the International Herald Tribune. I don't know what that is or what, it's probably a paper, written by Roderick Conway Morris. And it's titled, How Italian Cinema Became Dominated by the Dubbers. Hmm. Okay. And it goes, and, it, and, it, and it's, a pretty, it's a pretty interesting article, and it goes into even um, Mussolini using uh, uh, propaganda film and, and stealing American uh, footage, but then just dubbing it in Italian back in the 40s. But... Um, as far as it seems like with the, the reason, and also at one point it points out that almost 95% of Italian movies through the 60s and 70s were dubbed over. Even if the natural language was Italian, they would still dub it in Italian. Hmm. And the main reason it says that this started was because post-war Italy, most um, directors were using surplus cameras and cameras that were very old and extremely noisy you following me i am following you oh i mean wait i'm sorry can you say that again just so i can confirm what you said they were using noisy cameras that were pre-world war ii (laughs) okay and see you're entering my atmosphere here my expertise of early sound so yes so these are noisy cameras and it said it was it made it almost impossible to record record live sound yes um i know that so that was kind of that was kind of the origins to why they were overdubbing in the 60s and 70s it seems like on top of that so that kind of became the normal but then the once you started getting colors and uh, directors started to be able to to use more um, of the sets and stuff, a lot of directors said, hey, I'm going to overdub this anyways. I just want the most attractive actors and actresses to be the pitcher, and we'll overdub it with something later. So I don't care what they say. I don't care how they act. So partially, these directors were literally just hiring off appearances and uh they worry about the the post-production sound after the fact so they were just getting models and people like that to to be in their movies which it's an interesting way to make a movie i guess (laughs) and Um, uh which is so funny because if i can dive into one of my bads one of the supporting act characters daria mm -hmm. um I ooh, uh, she's played by um, if I could just find her where the hell oh no I'm sorry Gianna Daria is the actress name Gianna Brezzi she's a character mm-hmm. her face looks like a porcelain doll and I mean yes. that I know that's mean to say and to be frank I don't care um, I just it was so goddamn distracting I thought to myself this woman she reminds me of and this is a deep cut she reminds me of the character in Fritz Lang's Metropolis, when they turn her mm. from the, the 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 robot into the woman, 
And she just has this very 1920s, heavily makeup face. And I thought, Jesus Christ, she looks terrifying. Um, I'm aware that's mean. I'm aware. You know, it is what it is. I don't give a shit. But <laughs> I was just like, I cannot. Whenever she was on screen, I was like, you look like a porcelain doll brought to life by a voodoo, you know, by a soothsayer or some shit. Voodoo yeah. artist. And I'm not having it. Um, not to mention her acting is fucking uh, in ter- terrible. Just terrible. To the point where she's almost trying to do like the kind of classical Hollywood um, sort of um, yeah. kind of acting you would see from like a Howard Hawks movie, but not as quick. Um, I, to me, that it, it it was awful to see. Um, so you said mentioned the, all these beautiful people, and I think who? Yes. I don't know who. I mean, uh, David Hemmings. He's a, he's, a, he's a kind of a good looking dude. He's, he looks um yeah he looks like a beetle. He looks like one of the Beatles to me. Like he could be like he could be in like a you know like a British invasion. Um, he's a, he's a decent looking guy, but I, I'm telling you, man, uh, Daria, boy, uh, you know, it, I'm sure you're a great gal, but to me, you're acting mixed with just, you know, to be crass, well, that's I mean, what, the goddamn that's face. Saying, <laughs> that's what I'm saying too, is, you know, how much, I guess, you know, this is a, this is a very big question, but what, what is acting? You know, is it, if, if you're just, that's a good question. If, if if you're if you're if your likeness is being put in a movie and then you're saying lines which eventually get cut and dubbed over you know it's almost like there's two personalities being put into this character now which i think just ultimately makes the acting lackluster you know what i'm saying i mean well what's interesting is that there seems to be each character seems to be acting in an entirely different fashion Mm-hmm. Um, Daria, I'm sorry, I should probably, I've been shitting on her, I should probably get her whole name, Daria Nicolotti, um, you know, I, I, I owe her that much, she is acting in an, an entirely different school of acting than David Hemmings, and it, it shows, David Hemmings is more kind of, um, naturalist and more organic, and she's just this kind of, again, it's like a 1940s kind of newspaper drama, or screwball yeah. comedy, and I'm like, what are you doing? It's just it's just very jarring when you put them together and they just seem to be acting in two different movies. You so here you want you want a couple more little quick facts about the dubbing industry of Italy always before we wrap this every, up every day of my life genuinely. So at the height of the 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 boom, which I would say is like the sixties seventies, there were twelve hundred dubbers on call working freelance throughout Italy. Um. I'm voice sure actors who could, voice actors who could uh, play characters such as it says Al Pacino, Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, Sylvester Stallone, could make up to two hundred thousand dollars per picture for their mm-hmm. dubbing work if they were good enough. Which in the se- late seventies is not bad, right? Mm, Seems good. like a lot. Yeah, that's good. And then I thought this was funny too, as dubbing went out of fashion in the mid to late eighties, there were. Uh, younger directors were having such a hard time because live sound was obviously getting better. They were getting, um, you know, better cameras and stuff. So a lot of younger directors wanted to start using live sound. And uh, one of the issues they had was that for, for literally decades, Italian crew members didn't have to be quiet on set. So the the, the crew was always talking during takes. <laughs> and what the they, couldn't, they couldn't... They couldn't... 
Yeah, because they just they said that you know they they had literally four decades of not using live sound, so the people would be shouting at each other and stuff, and you know these directors would say, "Hey, quiet on the set," and the Italian direct the Italian you know crew members didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> That's I, I you know I've worked on this shit, and obviously not to this extent, but I just the idea the very idea of that is mind blowing to me. I just I figured you would like that little tidbit. I do like it. I mean it's flabbergasting, but I do like it. That's yeah, for sure. Of these Italian these probably these older Italian men who are doing, you know, sound or or they're doing, you know, props or something and they're just screaming at each other while they're shooting and these young directors are saying, Hey, shut the fuck up and these guys are getting offended by it. I can't believe that, man. That is outrageous to me. So and then this is kind of a, a I think a, a nice little quote, um, from uh, one of, are you familiar with Fellini? Sorry, you broke. Are we talking to me? Yeah, are you familiar with Fellini? Am I familiar with Federico Fellini? Yes, I'm yes. very familiar with Federico Fellini. Correct. So this is this is a this is a quote because Fellini was one of these people who always, always, always dubbed and always used post production sound. Hmm. Okay. And this is from one of his uh, one of his colleagues, and he said a director like Fellini wouldn't choose to sound produce even if he had the best possibilities. That is not Fellini's art. Fellini's art is through the lens. And I think that kind of really does speak to a lot of Italian, and I think that you can appreciate that. Does it name the colleague, or is it just a random colleague? It says Biondo. Okay. Um, I don't... Let me see if he has... I don't... I don't see... It's somebody who was interviewed for this, uh, for this article in the in the international herald so i don't know exactly who he is but it says he's a colleague of fellini let me see if i can find it Um, yeah i mean fellini is one of those directors that i know a lot about and i really haven't seen much of his work and that's that goes for a lot of classic stuff for me i know way more than i've seen but you know what the hell there's not enough time in the world so but I think that's an interesting quote of saying that, you know, these it Italian is. directors really were more about the film than the sound and, and the picture over the sound. And I guess I that, get that. How they looked at filmmaking. I get I so. mean, that makes sense to me, but I just don't know if that was really the same thought anywhere outside of Italy at the time. I mean, we could have a whole other podcast of me explaining to you the origins of sound and filmmaking because I know a lot about that, but... I mean, at this time, in the late 70s, early 80s, I mean, the idea of sound was certainly nothing. To, it was pretty much established and solved at that point. So the fact that Italy, yeah. Italy seems to have had this aversion to the idea of, like, um, let's say, lavaliers and kind of portable sound is, which is, that was more of, I guess, a modern thing, but even not that modern. I mean, that just blows me away. It's just it was very interesting. All right, I should send you the whole thing because it is very interesting, and it's. I would it's like just, to it read goes, that. It kind of, it, it 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 talks about um yeah just some of this uh, why, and and it just seems like kind of stuck in their ways, and they started doing something one way, and then it kind of evolved into other things, and then it eventually became a problem, and people didn't know how to record sound without being fucking quiet on the set so it's just it's a that's whole crazy man just this has been a very informative episode process. our viewer our listeners are very lucky to have this episode what can i say i'm, I'm happy yeah, to be I mean, here. i've always wondered that too you know i think we've i think we've discussed it on the show is like why are these always dubbed and yeah that's right and it seems like too you know it, it seems like they uh hire american actors english actors 
you know, they could easily redub it into Italy or into Italian or, or vice versa. So, yeah, I, I, that was my little edutainment uh, for the episode there. Yeah, I think it's I mean, a good place to end. On um, it. what on the Unless bad? You... Yeah, no, I agree, hundred percent. Um, I mean, just moving back on the list here, you had your as the what, what the fuck you've had the man getting dragged by the car, which we pretty much touched on as something that was mm-hmm. go- goofy uh, to a detriment for the movie to me because the goofiness came out of nowhere, and I thought to myself, man, this guy's gonna get sliced in half. It's gonna be delicious to see some of that good, beautiful bright red blood. Um, when he just gets hooked, you know, like like the dancers in Vaudeville, when the big hook comes out, the big cane and hooks him back, you know, comically. Yeah. And he just gets whipped and he just gets dragged. Um, and I thought, but this is stupid. I mean, you know, and listen, I can, you know, I can um, easily appreciate a good kind of comical, um, you know, a kind of comedic violence in that way. But I'm like, this is just not what the movie's been about this whole time. So. Yeah. It was jarring, but I didn't care for it. <laughs> yeah, it was a little stooge moment. It was a stooge moment, exactly. You're exactly yeah. right. But all in all, though, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, my my girlfriend Cassie really enjoyed it. I think this was maybe her first kind of step into Giallo. She hasn't seen Suspiria. Um, she's seen some other Italian horror, more 80s stuff. But I think this is a true, true, true Giallo film, and now we saw um, it's definitely in interesting. Pl- yeah, we went and saw an uh, Italian theater. cut. That was nice. I didn't so. care for the movie much, but I, I I always support being able to see. Speaking of that, I'm actually on Sunday. I get to see. I'm taking a friend of the show, Devin Green, the co-host of of uh, Concord Dawn, to see Titanic in theaters. Uh, oh, his man. his first goddamn time seeing it. How he hasn't seen that movie. Uh, up well, until now was beyond me. It's one of you my. You know, I've top only seen three. tape one. Well, <laughs> uh, you and I—I'm sure we both ran out that tape for sure. Um, are you guys? Are you guys getting a cuddle couch? I hope so. We're, it's at MJR Theaters, which I don't—I mm. don't love, but hey, it's a, we're, we're going to the one on Brighton because they got reclining seats. It's a three-hour movie plus a couple minutes, so um, I like to recline. But it's in my top three. I love—I die for Titanic. So. Okay. Uh, very excited for that. Well, uh, then I get I to go home. And, I don't know how to follow that. Then I get to go home and watch the Oscars that night, or as I call, well, this is a really, again, whole of the podcast, very boring year. I can save you four hours by naming all the winners right now. It's going to be a waste of time. What are you going to do? Okay. Well, let's let's wrap this up. Yeah, let's wrap it. I don't. I'm not a big Oscars fan. I'm not gonna probably watch. But you don't need to watch this year. It's just not gonna be a fun year to watch. It's all everything I've seen of all of the other award shows up to this has been just the same winners every time. And I can mm. tell you the. In fact, if your work is doing a pool, I can I can get you, help you win some money as I nail all of these predictions. But that's a whole other situation. So we'll wrap this bitch up. Yeah. So I think. We, we kind of officially made the move. I think we're only really going to be on Instagram now. I think it's kind of our... Unfortunately, you know, because I got rid of Facebook and Twitter for various reasons. Twitter especially. I think that place just sucks ass. And I've been on it. No. You and I are at that age where we've been on social media for like half of our goddamn lives. Like, I've been yeah. on Twitter tweeting shit thinking that my stupid ass thoughts need to be tweeted since 2008. 
Um, they and, don't. And it just becomes a time where it's like, I don't need to do this, man. And all the fear mongering and film Twitter is the cesspool of social media. And I never want to see it again. So when I've been off of social media, it's been great. I think of thoughts, you know, and I think I don't have to tweet this. I can just let it live in my, in my mind. Anyway, the point of this being when I got rid of my Facebook, I no longer have access to the uh, Blade Job Facebook. Um, but luckily, I believe you still in it, so we it still exists. And if you post yes. to the Instagram, you can make it post to the Facebook as well. So I think it's still a good thing. But Instagram seems to be the go-to main social media for Blade Job going forward. Yes. So follow us there and follow us on our own accounts if you want. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, what can you follow me on Instagram? Scuba Steve twelve fourteen. That's my Instagram. That's what I'm keeping so far. And Reddit, but I'll never be able to fucking get rid of Reddit. God, I, I, that's the one that I would... If I can get rid of Reddit, I would be a doctor by now. Um, but it's just never going to... It's never going to happen, dude. It's not going to happen. Well, you never never say never, Steve. 2020. It's been, a, it's been a different... It's been a good year. New job. Great year for movies coming out. And horror movies, too. Um, yeah. Great year for Blade Job. You know off of social media it's gonna be an interesting year i think we gotta get back into wrestling next episode we do i'm not no promises but you know i think we're i think we're due i think we're due it's nice to have a blade jobber of the week be the wrestling fame but i think we do need to kind of hammer out i think we need to i think we need some some blood in the ring well so if that's what you guys have been craving tune in next week two weeks i guess really but yeah you get the uh, idea nothing nothing we're not used to Okay. Well, like I said, here's some Goblin to, to cue us out. Uh, Give us a five-star review on, on iTunes as well, please. For the love of God, please. Yes, please, and thank you. All right, see you guys later. Bye-bye.